Welcome everybody. My name is Makal Nasrani and this is Islam for Christians. Episode 46, Quran, Surah 105, al the Elephant. Hast thou not seen how thy Lord dealt with the owners of the elephant? Did he not bring their stratagem to naught and send against them swarms of flying creatures? which pelted them with stones of baked clay and made them like green crops devoured by cattle. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al-Gandhi. ألم تر كيف فعل ربك بأصحاب الفيل ألم يجعل كيدهم في تضليل وأرسل عليهم طيرا أبابيل تضليل بحجارة من سجيل فجعلهم كعصف مأكول Now, in the last Quran episode, when we were talking about Surah 106, I went pretty deep into the Arabic, you know, showing the art of the Arabic and of a certain English translator who is very good with the Arabic. But I'm not going to mention much of that for this one, you know, other than what is the basic structure of the Surah. Now, at least in my opinion, this Surah is a poem with a good structure, meter, and rhyme. Just listen to it a few times. Heck, even look at it. It's a spectacular way to tell history. But that's what this episode will be about, is history. Is more so than artistic poetry, this is mostly a history lesson, in two ways. One, it's a history lesson in the conventional sense relaying a certain piece of history, but in another way, the second way, it's also a historical story that teaches a lesson. And that lesson is rather obvious, and it's a warning to the pagan powers that be. If you persecute the prophet and his people, God will intervene. Now, there are some stories in every culture that are so omnipresent so woven into the background that they really don't need any introduction. For example, you don't need to tell an American what happened to Washington's army at Valley Forge, or what happened on July 4th, 1776. And you don't need to tell an Englishman about the Battle of Hastings or Trafalgar. Every school-aged child should know that. And for the Arabs, that story is the Year of the Elephant or the Battle of the Elephant. That's one of those stories. Yet, for anyone other than an Arab, or someone who is super familiar with Islamic history, you really wouldn't have any idea what this surah is referring to if you just read it. It sounds like some supernatural apocalyptic metaphor, but it's not. It's actually referring to a real event here on Earth. The story of the elephant is the Arab version of the Exodus, sort of, only they didn't go anywhere. These miracles happened right at home, protecting the Kaaba for the Islamic re renewal of the religion 
of the true God. Muhammad was born in the year of the elephant, by the way, which also makes this kind of the beginning of his story. Now, I covered this briefly in an earlier episode, so I'll just repeat that here. This is the story of the elephant that the Quran is referring to. Long after Abraham and Isaac built the Kaaba, per Islamic belief, and Mecca had become a wicked city of pagans, Mecca remained a holy place. Even as blasphemous idols filled the Kaaba, and before Muhammad purified the city, Mecca was always a holy place. How do we know this? Because even if people had long forgotten that Mecca was a holy place that should be dedicated to the one God, the elephants never forgot. This incident happened around 570, the year Muhammad was born. Mecca was being invaded from the south by Abraha, a Christian Abyssinian, which is basically an Ethiopian as we know them. Remember that a later Christian king would save the Muslims when Mecca was persecuting them, but for this story, the Abyssinians are actually the bad guys. Technically, Abraha was working on behalf of the kingdom of Aksum, which is pretty much where Ethiopia is now, but expanded across the Red Sea into the southwest of the Arabian Peninsula. If the name Aksum sounds familiar, legend has it that that is the city that holds the Ark of the Covenant somewhere in a local church. So Abraha invades from Yemen with a large army that included 13 elephants. He wanted to smash the Kaaba and presumably all the idols in it. One thing that makes the story fascinating is that Muslim sources and later believers universally portray these invading Christians as the bad guys and the Meccans as the good guys. You got that? The alpha males of idol smashing, the Muslims, believe God was helping to shield a building full of idols from a monotheistic, non-idol-worshipping king. Muhammad would basically do the exact same thing 50 years later, and God confirms he was on the Arabs' side in Surah 105 of the Quran. My guess is that the key difference between Abraha and Muhammad is that Abraha wanted to wreck the building itself. Muhammad only purified the inside of it. This story seems to establish that the Kaaba was always holy, regardless of what was happening inside of it. Still, this seems like much more of an Arab nationalist story than an Islamic one, and that's a distinction a secular Islamic scholar could probably make an entire book out of. Okay, so Mecca seemed doomed to fall, but remember that God's armies need not consist only of men. God drafted birds into the fight, conducting the world's first aerial bombardment as the avian soldiers dropped rocks on the invading army. But the bigger story was an elephant mutiny. They refused to move toward Mecca. The story focuses on one elephant in particular. He even has a name, Mahmoud. And yes, Mahmoud comes from the same Arabic root as the name Muhammad. I doubt this is a coincidence. So Mahmoud kneels down and won't move toward the city. They beat him with metal rods and stabbed him with hooks, but the elephant would not move toward Mecca. They tried directing him in any other direction, and he was willing to move in any other direction, running even, but would only kneel when he was faced toward Mecca. This was eventually repeated by all of the elephants, and the invading army began to fall apart. What followed was a mass desertion, 
and Abraham retreated back to Yemen, where he immediately died after telling the people what had happened. His death was pretty dramatic. From Oxford's The Life of Muhammad, which is a translation of an extremely early Islamic history, quote, Abraham was smitten in his body, and as they took him away, his fingers fell off one by one. Where the finger had been, there arose an evil sore exuding pus and blood, so that when they brought him to Sana, which is a city in Yemen, he was like a young fledgling. They allege that as he died, his heart burst from his body. Unquote. Less dramatically, he probably died of smallpox, which apparently coated the area following the invasion. It probably played a role in killing the army, too, but who cares about that? The elephant is the key to this story, in which an Old Testament-style god enlists the elements to aid his people in a battle. One other thing I'd like to add to that. Like I mentioned before, the idea of God preserving the Kaaba for a bunch of stone-worshipping pagans is kind of odd. But it's less odd if you remember that this battle was also the start of Muhammad's life. So perhaps, according to the Islamic story, the arrival of Muhammad is what made the Kaaba worth preserving in the first place. You know, God may have thought, well, I can stand another half century or so of idols in my Kaaba if it was eventually going to be purified by Muhammad. Now, I should also note, there is no hard historical proof that this battle actually coincided with Muhammad's birth. For one thing, the year of the elephant could have been 570, but it also could have happened as much as two decades earlier. You know, and at the same time, we don't really know for certain precisely when Muhammad was born either. But really, honestly, just ignore all that. It's, it's not important. <laughs> the story is way too good to nitpick at the historicity of it. You know, kind of like the crossing of the Red Sea. You know, just imagine Charlton Heston raising his arms and just stand back and on and enjoy it. You know, you can do the same thing with this story. It's also a fun story because this is one of the elements of Islam that harkens back to the Old Testament archetype, an Old Testament type of story, God helping his people in a time of need and smiting an enemy. It's unique, too, even in this sense, because he just did it out of nowhere. You know, un, you know God acted just out of the blue. Unlike in a Bible story where, you know, somebody would probably pray for something or um, they would at least ask or, you know, that's not really a part of this story. You know, no one was obeying divine commands. This wasn't Joshua saying, you know, being ordered to march around Jericho and, you know, eventually the walls will come down. There wasn't anything like that. These people actually didn't even know or believe that Allah existed, you know, or they were pagans. You know, these were not Muslims at the time. And God certainly never got the credit for any of this until Muhammad and his people were in charge later. But still, the lesson here is the same. Do not mess with God's people. You cannot win. 
God's people cannot be defeated. That is, unless, as in the Bible, they choose to defeat themselves by defying God. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.